course, yesterday I was a little ways away west of Mount Pleasant performing a marriage ceremony and it was really beautiful and great and everyone I think had a good time. I haven't got any complaints yet, so it must have been okay. Um, but one of the things that I require before I marry someone is a pretty significant round of premarital counseling because you know today the way things go, people often uh, jump into things and then struggle later, later on. So I say, hey, hang on, let's talk about this first before we get going. We have six to seven sessions of pretty significant premarital counseling and one of the things we talk about is communication and love languages and different personality types and basically all under the premise that in order to love well, you have to know well. In order to love someone well, you have to know them well. For example, let's say that you have you know, male and female, two different people, and one person decides, hey, I'm going to surprise my beloved, and I'm going to go to elaborate lengths to come up with this great party, and I'm going to call in all the friends and relatives from far away. We're going to do everything just right, and then we're totally going to catch them off guard, and boom, just lay it out there. It'll be the best, and they'll see how much work I've put into it, and they'll be so surprised, and they'll feel so loved. And as it turns out, the other person has anxiety issues, they hate surprises, everything in life needs to be pre-planned from six months to many miles out, and they get this surprise and they're overwhelmed and they struggle and it's not a good thing. That's the thing, right? When you, when you talk about loving someone, you need to know what makes them tick, how they work in order to love them well, and oftentimes you've got to adjust quite a bit in order to communicate in the right way. What happens often in marriages, children hear this, high schoolers, youth, young adults, is that when you misunderstand the beloved, um, there's problems, issues arise, and the only solution to that is to get to know them better. And the only way to get to know someone better is to spend time with them and communicate. Well, church, hear me now. I think if you have any relational experience, you know that that's the case. As in your significant relationships, so too in your relationship with God. In fact, Ephesians tells us that this mystery that God designed that he calls marriage is actually a model for the church. Even before there was a church, there was marriage. Marriage preceded the church, but the model for the church is marriage, and it is a relationship that is based on loving the other well. So if we're going to love God well... What that means is we need to know him well. We need to know how he functions, what he's like, what he appreciates, and what he doesn't. And when we begin to learn that, then we can actually connect with him and communicate and grow more deeply in love in ways that are significant and meaningful to him. That is why the church is called the bride of Christ. You are the bride, and you are to love your beloved with all of your heart, soul, and mind. So today what happens is this, we look at this guy by the name of Jephthah, and what we find out is that he completely misunderstands God. He has no idea really how this Yahweh functions. He believes in Yahweh, and in a lot of ways he obeys Yahweh better than some of the previous judges. He follows right away. And he understands certain things about Yahweh, and yet at the same time, there are some really significant points that he completely misses. He just doesn't get it. 
And so as a result, what happens is a, a major tragedy, and you come to the end of it, and you sort of scratch your head and go, wow, what just happened here? But I think what we'll see is that basically, as in a lot of texts, there's a problem, a solution, and an application. The problem is when you misunderstand the beloved, the solution is to get to know them better. And the application, how do we do that, is through really good communication. So we'll walk that through in Jephthah's story, and we'll walk that through in our story as well this morning. So the story picks up in Judges chapter 10. And we've been doing this for a while. There's a couple more. There's Next week is a sort of the senior recognition day where we'll recognize our graduates. Pastor Jeff will bring a message. Then the following two weeks will be Pastor David uh, talking about Samson. I'll be going away to visit uh, my family for a little bit. but And that'll be the end of the judges series. But today, I want to remind you just this cycle that we've seen throughout this book. Here's the redemptive cycle. You see sin... When the people are doing horrible things that God told them not to, then you see God's discipline because he's a loving father and he doesn't want them to run off the edge of a cliff. He's going to bring them back to him, but he has to get their attention, so he disciplines them. And then after he disciplines them, as most people who are disciplined, they say, wow, ouch, what just happened? That hurts. And they cry out for deliverance. Please stop. We'd rather not. And then the Lord, in his faithfulness and grace and justice, does. He delivers his people by sending these warrior heroes, these spirit-empowered judges, the list of which you've seen all over our uh, artwork for the whole series. And then after that, there's a period of peace. There's a period of peace while the people are doing well, but inevitably, as people do, you begin to enjoy the peace a little too much, you forget about God, you go your own way, and all of a sudden you're sinning again. This is a cycle of judges, and this is a cycle of our lives often as well. So in the Jephthah narrative that we're looking at today, chapter 10, see, you have, it's a big piece, so I'm not going to read everything to you, but you start in chapter 10, and that's the sort of the sin and the cry for help. So that's my summary of chapter 10. Now today, in chapter 11... We're going to look at the deliverance. So chapter 10 is the sin of the people and the cry for help. And chapter 11 today will be the deliverance through the spirit-empowered judge by the name of Jephthah. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to read along if you'd like. I'm also going to put the words up on the screen. I'm going to summarize a good portion of the middle section, and then we'll conclude. But this is the tragedy, the epic story of Jephthah in Judges chapter 11 says this listen up kiddos this is crazy now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior but he was the son of a prostitute Gilead was the father of Jephthah and Gilead's wife also bore him a bunch of other sons and when his other sons grew up they drove Jephthah the son of the prostitute out And said to him, you shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. Reminds one a little bit of David when he fled from Saul. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel, and when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. 
And they said to Jephthah, come and be our leader that we may fight against the Ammonites. <laughs> but Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, um, <clears throat> did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you're in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that's why we've turned to you now that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Wow, that's a change. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and, key phrase, the Lord gives them over to me, then yes, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be the witness between us if we do not do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him the head and leaders over them, and Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. Then there's this extended discussion between Jephthah and the Ammonite king, and basically the Ammonite king's bringing his dispute before him, and Jephthah's like, no, 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 hang on, buddy, you got your history wrong. When we were led out of Egypt and coming up into the land, we specifically stopped at your door, we knocked, we asked permission to go through, you said no, we went the long way around, and you still attacked us, and as a result, the Lord gave you over into our hand. If you would have let us go, we wouldn't have bothered you at all, but no, you came after us. This ain't our fault. This is you. So he tries the diplomatic route, but it doesn't work. These people are intent on attacking them. So in verse 29, it says this. Here's what makes one of these judges. The spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. Listen for this in uh, Samson later. And he passed through Gilead and Manassas and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. So he's rounding up his troops. He's saying, everybody, okay, come, let's go, let's fight. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, listen to this. If you give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's. And I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Now, some of us are going, whoa, what is this all about? Well, look, in a compound communal sort of agrarian life, there's this big compound and there's animals and goats and sheep and all this other stuff coming in and out all the time. So we don't really know what he was thinking at this point. Maybe he was thinking about whatever dog. It couldn't be a dog because that wouldn't fit the... Um, sacrificial system, yet at the same time, he was so ignorant of the sacrificial system, we don't really know what he was thinking, but he's thinking, whatever comes rushing out of me, out to greet me at my compound, when I come back, I'll, I'll dedicate it or I'll give it to God. He's like, that's a fair deal. Maybe God will go for this. I'll give him the best thing that comes out. So Jephthah crossed over to Ammonites to fight against them, and key phrase again, the Lord gave them into his hand, and he struck them from Er to the neighborhood of Mineth, 20 cities, and as far as Abel Karamim, with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel, and Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, of all things, the first thing that rushed out the door to meet him was not an animal, but instead his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and dances. Now she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, 
My daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me, for I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. And in the noblest and most brave and courageous of spirit, she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. So she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone for two months that I may go up and down the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. And so he said, Go. Then he sent her away for two months, and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of two months, she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow that he had made. And she had never known a man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went out year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, for four days in the year. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for even the hard stuff. On the human level, as we read this, it's a tragedy. I mean, it's just of Shakespearean proportion. It is an epic tragedy. What in the world happened here? I mean, we don't even read literature like this today, let alone put it on the movie screen. We want the happy ending that all is well, that ends well. Everybody's riding off into the sunset. But here is some horrible thing driven by a gigantic mistake. Why is this portion of scripture here? Why did God include it? One of the beautiful things about God and his word is that he doesn't just make everything rosy, but he says, no, this is what real life looks like, and we're not overlooking the bad, but we're looking at straight in the face and providing a solution. The solution, as in the case in your life and my life, as in all of Scripture, is God's amazing grace. Here is the irony. There is this outcast by the name of Jephthah, the son of a prostitute. Not his fault, has nothing to do with who he is, but for whatever reason, he's born under this dark cloud and ostracized from all of his friends and family. He flees to the mountain, and of course, when you're fleeing and you're ostracized, there's only a few people that are going to hang out with you, and those are the merry band of rotten scoundrels. This is kind of like Robin Hood and his merry men, if you will. As a result, Jephthah becomes a tribal warlord, much like what we see in Afghanistan today. There's just a guy living up in the mountains. There's a bunch of folks gathered around him. He's the toughest, meanest, baddest dude. And so he rules the spot. And then, of all things, God chooses this tribal chieftain, this warlord who lives up in the mountain, to be the very one who delivers his people. Now, listen to this. I got This has got to land here somehow. Um, this is Memorial Day. And this brings this application. It really pops out of the text today. What happens is the elders, the rulers, the, the people who are very comfortable, educated, religious, economic elite say, hmm, we have a problem. There's a battle brewing but we don't really want to fight it. We'd rather stay home in our comfortable spots and live our comfortable lives. Who would be crazy enough? I know. How about Jephthah? Yeah, he's a pretty bad dude. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. He's happy to fight. He has trouble all the time. Let's go get Jephthah and see if he will go and fight our battles for us. Today is Memorial Day. Let us thank the many Jephthahs of our nation 
who have gone and made it possible for us to sit here comfortably on Sunday morning listening to a sermon while they're in some dirty, yucky, God-forbidden place fighting our battles for us. Amen? Amen. All right. So here's Jephthah, and it's, it's interesting because God is cool. God does everything right and just, yet not everyone he uses does. You know, God chooses people, and they don't get it right. So don't think that every character you read about in Scripture other than one, you should follow and emulate every single time. So here is Jephthah. And he gets some things right and he gets some things wrong. So before I just jump into everything he did wrong from my, you know, thousands of years rear view mirror sort of perspective, let me show you what he gets right as well. I want to look at what Jephthah gets right and what Jephthah gets wrong. And then on the wrong piece, we'll say, here's your problem solution application. So first, let's acknowledge what he does really, really well. What he does well is this. He's a warrior. And so he knows and understands that battle is messy. You know, there's a lot of things you do going into a contest, whether it's an athletic competition or an actual battle. And at the end of the day, they're, they're very similar. Basically, you're going to plan, you're going to prepare, you're going to strategize, you're going to go over all of your equipment, you're going to clean your weapons, you're going to check everything to make sure it's in perfect working order before you go through that door. You do not want to have a jam or a misfire or anything else when you're facing a life and death confrontation. So here is this warrior who understands the natural course of battle. He's got to sharpen his blade and get everything ready. But at the end of the day, even if they have overwhelming numbers, even if theirs is a superior force, even if they have a better strategy, even if everything lines up in their way, they know that stuff happens and all of a sudden on any given Sunday, the course of events can change and the underdog can win. And so even with the best of planning, the best of strategies, the best of equipment, the best of people, they know that at the end of the day, the battle belongs to the Lord. And Jephthah, being no fool when it comes to fighting, wants to acknowledge this fact out front. So when the elders approach them, chapter 11, verse 9, he says to them, okay, 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 here's the deal, I get it. You bring me home to fight against them, but here's what's going to drive the outcome of the events. If the Lord gives them over to me. In other words, Christian, listen. Everything in your life is determined by this phrase. Everything. I mean, you can be intelligent, you can be good-looking, you can be economically situated, or you can be the ostracized son of a prostitute living in the mountains. It doesn't matter. Everything in your life is determined by this phrase. If the Lord is with me and gives me success, then it doesn't matter. So yeah, we do everything we're supposed to do. We're intentional. We use whatever we have in our hand for God and his glory. But at the end of the day, it is the Lord who determines whether we are successful or not. Your investments. Hey, yeah, let's diversify. Let's look to the future. Let's check out the numbers and compare the balance sheets and do all the ratios and look at the income statement, etc., etc. But at the end of the day, there are so many variables that ultimately it is only God who's going to determine the outcome. 
Such is the case in Jephthah's life, such is the case in yours and mine. And so he knows it. He says it very clearly. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible is this, because it really brings it home. Look, the horse is made ready for battle, Proverbs says, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Imagine that, if you will. If you're a young person, think of knights and what they must have done to their horses, throwing on the leather, throwing on the armor, throwing on the gear, making sure the hooves are shod and everything is just right, the tail is brushed. We have this thing as beautiful as we possibly can, getting ready to charge into the enemy lines, but we don't know where the shaft of that spear is going to come straight at the horse or go just a little to the right. At the end of the day, we make the horse ready for battle. But the Lord determines the results. So too with us, man. Do everything. Yeah, do your homework. Get ready. Strategize. Be wise. Think. Plan. Prepare. But the victory belongs to the Lord. That's the way it works. In this world, there's no other way. God determines the outcome. So Jephthah gets that. He gets it really, really well. But what he doesn't understand, what he doesn't understand is that he thinks that God, Yahweh, is just like these other gods. Yeah, he determines the outcome, but he functions like the other gods around us. So whether it is Baal, Asherah, Chemosh, or Molech, all these other pagan deities, he expects that Yahweh is stronger than those gods and that Yahweh can beat them, but Yahweh needs to be beseeched or manipulated in the same way that these other gods do. So in other words, the other gods, they ask for sacrifices because they need food and drink. So you have to bring them the sacrifice. And if you bring it to them and they're pleased with you, then they will bless you. However, if they're not so happy with what you provided for lunch, they will curse you and they will be mad at you and they will come after you and your day won't go quite as well. So make sure you bring a really good offering to feed these other gods who are hungry and need food. Moreover, if you make them a promise, you had better keep it. Why? Because they are vindictive and vengeful and temperamental, and they change in their character and mood spike from one day or another, and you never know what they're going to do. They might just take it out on you. So make sure you approach them with caution. This is the way Baal, Chemosh, Asherah, and Molech operate. Be careful. You don't know what you're going to get. So try to please them. Make them happy. Maybe you can pay them off. And as a result, Jephthah approaches Yahweh like this. He's like, hey, Yahweh, I know you're strong. I know you're powerful. I know you'll win. Will you win this for me? If you do, I'll give you whatever you want out of my house. I promise. Please help. Is that the way we approach the Lord? That's what Jephthah thought. Why did he think that? Well, because he's listening to everybody else around him. Hey, who are you listening to? Really, kids? What music do you know better? The Christian music or the other music? Which songs can you sing? Who are you listening to? Can you quote the movie or can you quote the Bible? What is easier? We have a million different movie quotes we can get. We can say five verses as scripture. Why? Who are you listening to? Look, if Jephthah had actually listened to the Bible, you know what he would realize? He would understand that God has need of nothing. God doesn't need anything. He made everything. Why does he, you think he needs this little goat? 
He would have known in Leviticus 18.21 and Deuteronomy 12.31 that human sacrifice is specifically forbidden. God is like, don't do that. That's what all the detestable nations around you are doing. That's why I'm sending you in there is to clear that out and make it stop. Don't copy them. What are you thinking? Do you, church, think that you've been put in this culture to become just like them? Don't copy them. You're to be salt and light. You should look different. You should look silly. You should look funny. Holiness is okay. In fact, it's commanded and good. And sinfulness is forbidden. If we look like everybody else around us, there is a problem. A real one. It's not cool to be cool. So here's Jephthah, and he's he's cool. He thinks that he can offer gifts to earn God's favor, and yet Psalm says, hey, you can't offer anything to please me. What, What do I have need of? Micah 6, 6 through 8. God's character is not like these other gods, vindictive, vengeful, angry. Instead, your God is a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He cares way more about his people than your silly vow. This is the way of Yahweh. And it is distinctly different from those of the other gods around you. Jephthah, you really ought to get to know him better. (laughs) This is going to cost you, for real. Church, this is the way of Yahweh. You really ought to get to know him better. Because if you don't, it will cost you, for real. How do you love the beloved? You need to know them well. You need to know them. How do you get to know them? Well, communicate. Communicate. And look, this is not a fancy sermon. This is so simple. Every single one of us can do it. Communication with God is very simple. It's not like I have some special connection because I'm the preacher. You have the same connection. And it's this. There are two ways. One is through God's word and the other is through prayer. God talks to us and we talk to him. Back and forth. Back and forth. And that's called communication. (laughs) It's not just one way. How do you think you communicate with someone who's just like, hey, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want that. (laughs) Is that how you talk to God? Oh, here comes my neighbor who's here to borrow my tools again. I know what he wants. (laughs) He's not here to say hello. He wants some help. How do you treat God? Are you that guy? Yeah, I'm just here to get what I need and move on. No, 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 that's not a loving relationship. (laughs) Not at all. Communication means it's back and forth. And so one, you let God talk to you. How about listening, right? Two ears, one mouth. Listen. Through his word, he speaks to us. Psalm 1 says this. Blessed. You want to be blessed? We're asking for that all the time. You want to be blessed? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners. Don't listen to them, listen to him. Nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night, over and over again, it's going through his head. That person is like a tree that is planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, then he prospers. That's where prosperity comes from. The wicked are not so, 
They're like chaff that the wind drives away. They will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What am I telling you to do? Read your Bibles. That's it. Read your Bibles. There's a lot of articles. There's a lot of books. If you Google how to be a parent, how to be a father, how to be a husband, how to be a this, how to be a that, you'll get overwhelmed. At the end of the day, you cannot read all that stuff. Today is the day of instant information and enormous amounts of publishing. Yes, there's good stuff out there, but you filter it through one, and that's called the Word. Read the Bible. Well, it's a big book. It's confusing. I don't know. I don't understand. I'm not saying read it in a day. (laughs) I may not even be saying read it in a year. It's cool if you can, but that means you're reading three chapters of a day. Why why not three years? One chapter a day. I can't do one chapter a day. Do a paragraph. (laughs) A paragraph might only be a sentence, but a sentence is better than nothing. If you can stay there for three minutes, three to five minutes, you can read a paragraph. You can do that. Right before your thumb pushes another button on your phone, try that. You got time in between. Read it. Get to know God. If you're not reading your Bible, you are not growing well in your faith. You have to let him talk to you. You have to. He can speak through any means, of course. I don't deny that, but the Bible is the best. That's why people give their lives for it, and that's why his spirit inspired it. Read it. There's your starting place. It's better than any other curriculum on the planet. Read the Bible. Maybe a paragraph. Just a little. Don't quit. Whatever you do, don't quit. Church, like Jephthah, our culture is sending us all kinds of messages really, really, really fast. And let me say this, too. It's easy for me to sit here and blast like, oh, the movies are bad, the music is bad, the whoever's news is bad, the bad, the bad, the bad, bad. But you know what I'll say? Even our faith-based, church-oriented culture is bad. There's guys that stand up here in pulpits that are a lot bigger than this one and say stuff that does not match with the Bible. That's bad. I think that's even worse than the pagan liar who you know is not telling the truth. But the person who pretends to be a Christian and leads you down the wrong path, oh my goodness. Better a millstone tied around their neck. There are thousands of them out there, and you say to me, Pastor, he's so sincere. He's so passionate. Look how beautiful they are on fire for the Lord. Jephthah was sincere. He was passionate, and his life went down in a blazing fire. He was sincere in every way. He gave his daughter. What could be more sincere than that? He was dead wrong. I don't care how sincere, how beautiful, how passionate, how on fire they seem to be. If it does not match with Scripture, they're wrong. Throw it away. Trash it. It's not worth it. Something I say that doesn't work, throw it away. The Word of God is your only guide. There's so much information out there in the culture around you, it is overwhelming us. If it doesn't match with Scripture, get rid of it. Pull it down, just like the Asherah pole, just like the altar of Baal. Trash it. Destroy it. I am warning you against successful people. And I am telling you not to follow them. 
They may be in the most famous pulpits in all of our land. They may say things that are beautiful and eloquent and rhyme. They may have written many books, but they did not write the good book. And that is the one that is sure. If you want to get to know God better, you need to be in his word. There's no doubt about it. That's where he talks to us, but it doesn't stop there. We need to talk to him. After we've listened, then it's our time, our opportunity to interact. So too in a marriage, right? Like if you're with your spouse, if you never respond, they're going to wonder what's going on here. But they want to be able to speak to you. And then when they speak to you, you listen, and then you give valuable or meaningful dialogue or feedback. And what happens then is, in a marriage, guys, you know what happens, right? If you're communicating and connecting, that means you're probably connecting, right? I'm serious. So listen, you're not going to forget that one, I know. But here's what happens. In your relationship with God as the bride of Christ, if you are communicating, then you are probably connecting, and then you're having intimate times of fellowship with God. And you're being intimate with Jesus because you are his bride, and that intimate place is called prayer. That's where you express your heart. That's where you expose yourself. That's where you completely open up and show him everything about you and hold nothing back. And that's where he welcomes you in and affirms you and loves you. And his blanket, his covering over you is love. That is your intimate time. Do you understand that? Would you give up intimacy in your, real, in your human relationship? No. Why would you give up intimacy with Christ? Prayer is not hard. It's very simple. It's called communication. We talk. We enjoy. We connect. Connect with God. Look, it's very simple. This is going back to the same old sermon you've heard a thousand times before. Read your Bible and pray every day. There it is. You want to be a good Christian? Do that. Read your Bible and pray. And you are on the right path to pleasing God.